0: Good morning again. I'll invite you to stand, if you will, if we, as we go before our text this morning. We'll be in Nehemiah 6, starting in verse 1. We start off with a, a prayer, a Jewish prayer called the Shema out of Deuteronomy 6. Would you say it uh, after me? Hear, o Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Amen. Nehemiah 6. When word came to Samballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not yet set the doors in the gates, Sambalat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aide to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true. That you and the Jews are plotting a revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, so this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply, Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were tr- all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabal, who was shut in his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the com- temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done you may be seated There is something profound in the of remembering My daughter Mia, my 6-year-old, she'll come up to me often and she'll say, "Hey dad, remember when Remember when? And then she'll give me some random time, sometimes years in the past, of a time that we did something together or something funny happened at our house and she'll be like, hey dad, remember one?" And she'll do that quite a bit. She gets that from her mother. Remember when? (laughs) This is true of anniversaries and birthdays. It's time for honest hour. Raise your hand if you have ever forgotten an anniversary or a birthday from someone special, for someone special. Come on. All right and the rest of you are liars. <laughs> I loved how there was no like big, big hands in the air. It was sort of, you, everyone did one of these. You're like, yeah, yeah, me. There's something profound about the act of remembering. This is also a lot of times how we connect with old friends. I'm about to uh, connect with someone from high school, and usually whenever I run into an old high school friend or college friend, 10% of the conversation is updating them on how life has been going, and the other 90% uh, ends up being reminiscing about old times, reliving all, hey, remember when, and we'll do it again. Because there's something profound in the art and the act of remembering. When Mia asked me to remember, She is welcoming me into her story. She is organizing her life and invites me to be a part of it. When we remember that anniversary or that birthday, it's not about the flowers or the tickets or the dinner. It's about recognizing that somebody is significant, isn't it? It's it's not about the gesture. It's what the gesture represents. It's the remembering that you are important. When we reminisce with friends, we're we're reinforcing the foundation of our relationship. The the fact that we have shared experiences together. We remember together. Today in Nehemiah, he prays a prayer of remembrance in the face of opposition. The wall is nearly, nearly complete and the enemy sees one last open door to make a last ditch effort to bring it down. And so Nehemiah prays to the God who remembers. He prays to the God who remembers. And so just to give us a backdrop and a backstory to help us place ourselves in the story, Nehemiah is highly symbolic. Now that doesn't mean that the events didn't actually happen. But what it does mean is that in order to understand what's going on, we need to understand what the story represents what the characters, what the different things in Nehemiah represent on a spiritual level so that we can get them and understand what they mean for us. In fact, the Old Testament itself paints these concrete, tangible pictures of spiritual realities. And in Nehemiah, we see many of these pictures as part of his story. First, we see the Jews or Jerusalem or Israel. And these are images of God's people. If you have a in this morning, this is your first, uh, first in, in that series. When, when you see Israel, when you see Jews, when you see Jerusalem, uh, we're reading into this idea of God's people. Now, eventually, this is expanded out from a literal nation to us as the church. We become God's people, and so we can read ourselves into the story. We can actually read ourselves into the story, and when we see God's people moving in certain ways, we can actually be a part of that. Because there's always that spiritual reality underneath any Old Testament story. Secondly, we see that there's this land in Nehemiah. And this land always represents, in the Old Testament, God's presence. When, when Israel occupies the land, it's, it represents God's presence with them. They're in right relationship with God. Whenever there's a, a righteous king, they gain land. Whenever there's a, an evil king, they lose land. And exile then becomes the ultimate divorce. The ultimate way in which God's presence is removed from God's people and away from the land. And so this is why Nehemiah's uh, whole calling and Nehemiah's whole pursuit of bringing a people back to the land is so significant. He's reestablishing a relationship with God. God's people are uniting and reuniting with God. This isn't about dirt. This is about something much much bigger and much more profound than that. This is reestablishing God's relationship with his people. They get the land back. And we too have the same pursuit as God's fulfilled people as we work to establish and reestablish and and, and be in communion with God. God's presence with us. So we have God's people in in Jerusalem or in the Jews. We have the land, which is God's presence. And we see Nehemiah's ultimate call isn't just to bring people back, but to build a wall. He builds a wall And walls were God's protection. We have God's people. We have God's presence. And this wall represents God's protection from the enemies who seek to harm us. Walls were needed to withstand the threats of Nehemiah. And we too build walls against our enemies— Maybe you've ever prayed this prayer. If you're super spiritual, you've definitely prayed this prayer. This is the, the prayer of a hedge around someone. Has anyone ever prayed a prayer, a hedge of protection around anyone, right? This is, I was with some non-Christian friends and, and I, I, I kind of slipped out and they looked at me like I was crazy. Like, hedge of, what are you talking about, right? But we spiritual people, we know what we're talking about, right? When we use the hedge of protection. That's like super spiritual. It really protects someone, right? But this is the idea. We recognize that we have an enemy. We have a a spiritual enemy, and so we pray for walls. Not walls to separate us from others, but walls to separate us and protect us from the enemy. So we have God's people, and we have God's presence, and we have God's protection, but then we have that enemy, and Nehemiah faces a real, physical, tangible, concrete enemies. Sanballat and Tobiah specifically. But these are the enemies of Israel, and we too have enemies, and these are God's opponents. In Nehemiah, we see God's people. We see God's presence. We see God's protection. But we also see here God's opponents who give us physical depictions of the spiritual enemy that we face. In fact, Paul talks about this in Ephesians 6, the armor of God, one of those famous kind of armor of God, uh, put on the whole armor of God passages in Ephesians 6, but he starts off by saying this, our struggle is not against flesh and blood like it used to be. It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the evil forces, uh, spiritual forces of evil. And so we can read ourselves into the story. We can see how uh, a a group of people came into a land to build walls against an enemy who sought to destroy them, who sought to to absolutely uh, humiliate them, sought to bring them down, sought to uh, uh, foil their plans. And we can read ourselves into the story. Now, Nehemiah had two major enemies. I want to look at them uh, quickly. Uh, There's others that are named even in this passage, but really when you look at all of Nehemiah, there are two names that keep coming up again and again that are the enemies of Nehemiah. First, we have Sanballat, the Hornite. Now, Sanballat's name literally means the moon god has given life. San was a Babylonian moon god, and so his name represented this, highlighted this moon god who was, who was in charge of his, his main task as a, as a god in Babylonia. And, and Babylonia it was uh, animals and herds. He was sort of the god of, in this pantheistic religion, he was the god of the animals and the herds. So it's interesting. So he is this moon god that, that looks over all the animals. And what I love is back in chapter two, Nehemiah is inspecting the wall. We read this a few weeks back. And it says in the passage that he goes by night, which means he presumably is seen by the moon. And, and several times in that passage, it specifically says he left his animals behind. And when you read it, you go, that's weird. Why do I need to know that you didn't have animals? I I don't, that that seems like a strange detail. And I've said this before. Whenever you see a strange detail in in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, it should set off some alarms in your head. Like, why do we need to know that? Well, he's thumbing his nose at the moon god. I don't need you, Sam Ballot. We're going to fix this wall. And so I'm going to get off my mount. And we're going to do this. And he, it, it's sort of this representation of this thumbing his mo- nose at the moon god from the dark of night that we're going to rebuild this wall. Now, hornite was a backhanded term that referred to a town which was set for destruction. Actually, Jeremiah talks about this town. He said, this town is so wicked that it is set for destruction. And so we have the ballot, the hornite, this moon god has given life who comes from a town set for destruction because of his wickedness. And what we're supposed to see is this type of enemy. sandballot represents the antagonists that are clearly on the other side. They are clearly the enemy. They're the most obvious foreign enemies that we can have we all know this in, in the church and as a God's people, there are enemies that are just so obvious and we stare at it and it doesn't mean that they're no more destructive or no more powerful, but they're just very clear who the enemy is. We know and we can pray against them and we can uh, put up our spiritual hedges around them, but very clear that you are in opposition to us. This is what Sam Ballad represents to us. But then we have the other guy, Tobiah, TOBIAH'S NAME MEANS GOD IS GOOD. GOD IS GOOD. TOBIAH WAS A RELIGIOUS INSIDER. HE HAD MARRIED OFF A DAUGHTER AND A SON TO JEWISH, leader, Jewish LEADERS FOR POLITICAL INFLUENCE. IF YOU FLIP A FEW CHAPTERS uh, LATER IN CHAPTER 13, YOU FIND THAT TOBIAH IS RECEIVING SPECIAL TREATMENT FROM THESE LEADERS. Which Nehemiah uh, can't stand, he throws Tobiah out. But we see that this is how Tobiah is working. He has this spiritual influence. Here, he has this political, religious influence. His antagonism is a legit concern for his own religious security. You see, we have some enemies that are very blatant. They're the they're, they're San, the Moon God. They're the foreign enemy from the lands that are set for destruction. But then you have the Tobias, and the Tobias are the ones that are much more stealth, and look like you, and might look good, and God is good, and this is right, and as everything but there is an ulterior motive deep down and below. And this, this enemy can actually be more dangerous because you don't know who you're looking at. They look like they're on our team, but they're not. So you have these two enemies that represent two sort of different ways, two different ways that we identify enemies. These are the the overt enemies, and then there's the covert enemies. And in this section, we find that the wall is now rebuilt. He says, not a gap was on it. Though, and he gives us this little detail, though, up until that time, I had not yet set the doors in its gates. And this is another detail that we shouldn't lose. Because what that means is that the wall is completely done. Not one gap is there, but there's still a slight door open. The door is still left slightly open. And Nehemiah's enemies know this is their last shot. In fact, we do not hear from Tobiah and Sanballat again, not in an antagonistic way, for the rest of Nehemiah. This is it. They have been been up on Nehemiah chapter after chapter. This guy keeps coming back, these guys keep coming back, and and this is it. Because once those doors go on, there's very little they can do except for lay siege on this city, which they couldn't do politically because they were under the rule of the king. So they realize we've got one more shot at this. And so each enemy attacks Nehemiah just like their character is. One directly and one covertly. Let's take a look at the ways in which these two enemies try to thwart Nehemiah based on who they are as enemies of God. First off, let's look at Sam Ballot's tactic. He's the first one. Sometimes the enemy attacks us directly. Sam Ballot directly writes to Nehemiah and wants to meet. He invites him to the plain of Ono, which should, I, I know it's, it's in English, but you should think, Ono. Oh, because the root word in the Hebrew means trouble, wicked, or sorrow. He is inviting him to the plane of sorrow and wickedness. In fact, one Hebrew lexicon describes it as trouble in a sense of one step away from becoming wicked. Come to the plains of Ono. And Nehemiah sees right through it. He tries it five times. He comes at him again and again. Join me. Join me. It's sort of that nagging. Come on, you can do it. Come on over, plain of oh no, let's see it. And, and, and if I'm Nehemiah, I'm thinking, dude, like, get a hint. Like, take a clue, you know? Like, let's, let's figure this out. Like, I'm saying no. No means no. And so finally, on the fifth try, he gets even more direct. He sends this passive-aggressive accusation of rebellion in an unsealed letter which again another little detail this is not something that we should look over normally letters from officials were sent on papyrus paper it was rolled up it was tied with a string and then it was sealed with an inscription and what that seal meant is that if it wasn't broken it guaranteed both its authenticity but also it it, it concealed the it, it, it showed you and proved to you the confidentiality of it too That nobody's eyes saw this except for the one who wrote it. And so when Sambal writes this note and sends it unsealed, we're supposed to go, he wants this thing getting out. This is basically an open letter, because whoever passed it on, passed it on uh, at night before the next morning. Well, let's see what this says. We're supposed to know, and we're supposed to get the hint when Nehemiah receives this letter and it's unsealed, he's like, okay, well now everyone knows. And so now my enemies are spreading these rumors about me. That who knows how far it's gotten to now? Because this thing isn't sealed, and this was done very intentionally. Nehemiah, or Nehemiah then recognizes the motivation behind it. He says, "This their hands will get too weak for the work. Their hands that they're doing this to us because they hope our hands will get too weak." For the work. This is a Hebrew idiom for discouragement. It's the idea of you hanging on to something, a heavy load, and you can barely hang on. Your hands are getting weak, the rope is slipping, and you're barely hanging on. He says, They're doing this. They want me to go to the plains of Ono because they want to discourage me. They're spreading these rumors. They've sent this unsealed letter because they hope our hands are getting weak." And Sandal's plot doesn't work. Because Nehemiah prays a prayer, now strengthen my hands, God, in the midst of discouragement, strengthen my hands. You see, the enemy, and this is your next film, the enemy will look for an open door to discourage you. The enemy will look at your life. And see if there is an open door to discourage you. And we'll hope that your hands get weak. And you'll get discouraged. And you'll feel like things aren't going well. You feel like you're messing up or things, things just aren't shaking out the way you hoped it would be. And all of a sudden that load that's gotten heavy, your hands begin to shake. Because your hands are getting weak. And Nehemiah prays, God, strengthen my hands. Help me to hold on a little longer. Strengthen my hands. Sam Palat's plot doesn't work, and so now it's Tobias' turn. Because sometimes the enemy, sometimes the enemy uh, uh, attacks in an overt way, but sometimes the enemy attacks in a covert way because Tobiah arranges a prophet named Shemiah to lure Nehemiah into sin under the ruse of rescue. Tobiah pays off a prophet to try to convince Nehemiah to do something that would compromise his integrity. And under the ruse of rescue, tries to bring Nehemiah down that way instead. We are giving not just his name, the prophet's name, but we're also given his father's name and his gra- grandfather's name. Again, you should ask, why? Why do I need to know what this, guy's, what this guy's grandfather is named? Well, let's look at their names. First, Shemaiah, which means the Lord hears. When we give the Shema, that's the, the Hebrew for to hear, hear, O oh Israel. And Yah is the shortened form of Yahweh. So Shemaiah, the Lord hears. Then his father is Deliah, Deliah, which means to draw or to dangle. The female version is Delilah, from Samson and Delilah, who dangles her beauty before Samson to get him to share the source of his strength. And then finally, his great, his grandfather, his grandfather's name, Mehetabel, which means the Lord's goodness. So Nehemiah prays to God to strengthen his hand and then he meets a guy named the Lord Hears who dangles the Lord's apparent goodness in his face. Meet me in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. Now this sounds pretty good, but there's a problem. This goes against God's law. And Nehemiah knows it. The temple was God's address, the place where he dwelt. It was holy. It was set apart. And only certain priests at certain times were allowed in. There's a couple stories in the Old Testament where we see this in action. In Exodus, two men actually enter the tabernacle to author unauthorized fire and get consumed with it right on the spot. It's like, boom! A little time later, uh, there's a king, King Uzziah, who goes in when he's not supposed to and he walks out with leprosy. This isn't something you really want to deal with. You see, Nehemiah knows God's law, knows that this is wrong. He's no priest, and had he tried to save himself in this way, he would have lost possibly his life, certainly his honor, and ultimately his entire cause— We know that entire organizations can go down by a moral failure of a leader at the top. In fact, I was watching a commercial uh, uh, a few days ago for Papa John's. And if you know the backstory of Papa John's, uh, Papa John, the guy, actually uh, ran into some controversy. He said some things on video that he shouldn't have um, and uh, got highly scrutinized for that. And since then, their company has been a wreck. Uh, they were the official sponsor of the NFL. The NFL dropped them as a sponsor. They lost all sorts of endorsements and sponsorships. And it's just been a tailspin for them ever since. It's kind of hard to keep going when the man's name is on the front of the building. And so there's this commercial that came, out, and it was this uh, employee. And it was just her s- standing in front of the camera and said, I've given my life to this company. And I love this company, this company supports my family, and we will keep working no matter what." Flashes to a next employee who says something very similar. Flashes to the next employee, and at the end it says, my name is Julia, my name is Bill, my name is Frank, and we are Papa John. And in fact, the logo for Papa John was there, and every time a name switched, the word Papa John switched, and their name came up in its place because they knew they were about to go down because of the moral failure of their leader. And had Nehemiah done what Tobiah was hoping that he would do, who knows if those doors would have ever gotten put in place. You see, Tobiah works in a crafty, quiet way. Sam Ballot comes at you directly. Come on, let's go all right, let's spread some rumors, let's discourage you. But sometimes the enemy discur- uh, sees an open door and looks for an open door with discouragement, and sometimes the enemy looks for the open door to sin. Finds you where you're weak, looks at you, sees where the door might be open, and comes at you with sin. Unfortunately, I actually personally experienced that in a church that I worked for, where one of our teaching pastors uh, entered into an inappropriate relationship with someone and had to be dismissed and it took a long time to rebuild the trust of the church we know what it's like we have seen the power that sin and the destructive power that sin can cause and sin can do to a community to a cause to god's people And this is exactly what Tobiah wants to do. Sometimes the enemy will look for an open door to discourage, but sometimes the enemy will look for the open door to sin. So Nehemiah prays again. But this time it's a different prayer. This time it's a prayer of remembrance. Remember Tobiah and Sandalit. Oh my God, because of what they have done. Because there's something profound to the act of remembering some reason some way nehemiah is comforted by the fact that god remembers him that he worships and prays to a god who remembers i like to call the band up as we close when the enemy looks at you where do they see an open door When the enemy looks at you, where is there a crack open that they might be able to get in? That they might be able to wedge their way in? Nehemiah prays, and we need to too. Because maybe you're up against a sand ballot. It's in your face, and it's obvious, and it's clear spiritual attack but it's so hard. The enemy will look for an open door to discourage you. They will see that opening and they won't even even be shy about it. They will just tell you that you're not good enough, that you're doing it wrong, that you're trapped, that you're screwing this up. THAT YOU'RE MAKING A BIG MISTAKE, THAT SOMETHING TERRIBLE IS GOING TO HAPPEN. YOUR HANDS ARE WEAK, AND YOU'RE BARELY HOLDING ON. MAYBE YOU'RE FACING A TOBIAH. IT'S SUBTLE, IT'S QUIET, AND IT DANGLES THE APPEARANCE OF GOD'S GOODNESS IN YOUR FACE. Because the enemy will also look for the open door for you to sin. That coworker who's too friendly. That rumor that is too good. That judgment that is too easy. And remember, Tobiah can look like an insider. He can look like one of us. He can look like someone that's out for your good and will dangle something that looks like god's goodness well looks like something you deserve well looks like something you earned oh no it's not so whether you're facing a sam ballot or you're facing a tobiah may the lord strengthen your hands and remember Nehemiah prays a prayer of remembrance no less than seven times in the book of Nehemiah. He says, remember the instructions you gave. Remember me with favor, my God. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat. Remember me for this, my God. Remember them, my God. Remember me for good. See, the Lord remembers your pain, your hopes, your joys, your faithfulness the times you were barely hanging on he remembers you he invites you into his story and he says you're significant and he reinforces again and again the foundation of your relationship and so we pray to a god that remembers and he remembers because he went through it too he was betrayed by an insider and accused of rebellion himself. Matthew 26. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve arrived with him, was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elder of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signals with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. And going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus replied, Do you what, what did you do what you came here, friend? And in that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion? That you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me. You see, Jesus remembers. He remembers you, and so we pray to a God who remembers. And Jesus goes to a cross and is raised from the dead to claim victory over death and sin and every sand ballot and every Tobiah that you will ever face. You will win. strengthen our hands and remember us oh my God as we pray to the God who remembers let's do that now Lord remember us for good God, some of us are facing a sand ballot. It's coming at us direct and hard and our hands are weak. Strengthen our hands. God, some of us are facing a Tobiah. And as we're trying to decipher who who it is and what's going on, Lord, protect us. Build that hedge. Build that wall around us. May we know your law so that we can avoid the trappings of our enemy. And God, above all, remember us. And we know you do because you went through it too. And so we rest in that truth. We rest in your presence. We rest in the land. And we rest in the belief and the truth, even when we don't feel it, that you are a God who remembers. And so give us comfort in that. We love you, Jesus. In your name I pray.